Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Medicine Forward, a grassroots impact network elevating the voice of physician change leaders. Medicine Forward is dedicated to creating a brighter future for healthcare by fostering collaboration, innovation, and positive change within the medical community. With a strong commitment to improving the human patient physician relationship, Medicine Forward brings together forward thinking physicians healthcare leaders, and change makers to tackle the most pressing challenges in healthcare today. Their initiatives span advocacy, education, and community engagement, all driven by the shared goal of creating a healthier and more equitable healthcare system. As a trusted sponsor of our podcast, Medicine Forward exemplifies their mission to promote meaningful dialogue, facilitate interdisciplinary collaboration, and inspire innovative solutions for a healthier world. We're honored to have Medicine Forward as a partner in our journey to explore the latest developments and insights in healthcare. To learn more about Medicine Forward and their work, visit their website at medicineforward.org. Join us in supporting this remarkable organization as they continue to drive positive change and transformation in healthcare. Hello everyone, this is Joshua Judy. We are super excited to present the special edition of the Ripple of Change podcast, Searching for Our Quadruple Aim. This episode highlights the Medicine Forward Town Hall with Dr. Otten interviewing Dr. Aaron Goodman. Dr. Goodman created a petition to challenge the status quo regarding maintenance of certification with the American Board of Internal Medicine. Maintenance of certification is an often burdensome task required of doctors, leaving less time for patient and physician wellness. As a patient, I applaud physicians who are taking a calculated risk to improve the healthcare landscape for the greater good. We're delighted to have Dr. Aaron Goodman with us today. Uh, This discussion is gonna be about maintenance of certification, MOC or MOC, depending on your circle, I suppose. Um, But Aaron Aaron is a triple board certified hematologist oncologist and associate professor at the University of California, San Diego. He's part of the joint UC San Diego Health Sharp Healthcare Blood and Marrow Transplant Program, and to my understanding, an avid music lover, and perhaps mo- most importantly, a challenger of the status quo. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for joining us and spending a little bit of your day with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. A uh, couple of housekeeping items. This is recorded for everyone's uh, knowledge, and I wanted to go over just a couple acronyms first. ABIM, for those who may or may not be aware, is the American Board of Internal Medicine. And MOC, or MOC, is Maintenance of Certification. I'd like to start with a quote uh, from you, Aaron, from the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast with Chadi and the ABIM CEO, Richard Barron. I quote, I love our job. We have the best job in the world. I am truly a clinician. I am extremely privileged that I get to take care of patients with life-threatening blood cancers that are sometimes on the brink of death and we can cure them. I care about my patients. Our profession has gotten more burdensome. All these forms to sign, insurance companies to deal with, a hundred emails a day, and it's taken away from the satisfaction. Three emails a week from ABIM saying you didn't pay this thing it just broke me. I'm done. It's just one more thing. That statement really resonated with me, Aaron, as I was listening to the podcast for the second time. 
any initial thoughts before we dig in a little deeper? Yeah, I've never heard a quote of mine read to me, but yeah, <laughs> I you know it, it is just one more thing, as is every other thing that we get as physicians and colleagues in in, in the uh, healthcare industry. But um, you know, I, I remember um, you know sitting at my computer and getting uh, you know the bazillionth ABIM email sent to me. And I just like was like I'm done. <laughs> I slipped and lost. I so I to my wife. I go. I, I'm so pissed off or not. I'm just done with 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 this. And um, I started tweeting my tweet storm against the ABIM. And that CEO, he's like, I believe what preceded that comment or somewhere in the podcast was, um, you know, it's just a few questions a week or it's just a few minutes a, a day. But that that's what everyone's asking of us. And, and at some point. You know, uh, we have to just say enough's enough. And at least for me with ABIM, uh, this seemed like something that might be solvable and, and enough was enough for me uh, 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 and, and no more. Yeah, you're not alone. I think that's uh, uh, epitomizes what many of us feel. I mean, probably an opportune time to perhaps show a little video clip here that uh, might resonate with you, I feel. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just, uh, forgot. But, uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I, I have the memo. I've got it. It's right. Hello, Phil. The gist of this, especially for those of us who are fans of uh, Office Space. Um, and it, to me, it, it just, you know, it was foreshadowing what we're all enduring um, in the current landscape. So perhaps for the larger audience, um, Aaron, could you explain MOC and, and its evolution? Yeah, it's actually fairly complicated. And I didn't know, um, despite being a diplomate of the board and giving all this money, I didn't even realize what it was until I read more into it. I think they keep it kind of ambiguous on purpose uh, uh, for us to truly not understand. But but basically, um, you know, all and for the non-physicians uh, in the audience to be a licensed physician throughout medical school and residency, you have to pass uh, board exams uh, done by the USMLE. And this is what's legally required to, to practice medicine. You do three of these exams. And then at the end of your residency, you apply for your medical license in the, the, the state that you wish to practice in. And that legally allows you to practice medicine. You don't actually need anything else in addition to that. Uh, you need to be in good, good standing with your state licensure. But the ABIM, the American Board of Internal Medicine, um, which is uh, in charge of certifying, which is an initial, a, an additional layer that was actually imposed by us physicians uh, themselves. We, we started this, and I don't know when it started, uh, definitely far before I was born, but it was felt that um, we needed an additional layer to ensure that uh, on top of the medical school residency and the board exams that we take for our state licensure, we needed an additional layer of protection uh, to make sure patients were uh, given appropriate uh, uh, care. 
And uh, basically what it entailed was uh, at the end of your training in internal medicine, you would take a, a, a question exam uh, that covered all of internal medicine and you would spend quite a bit of money uh, on in the order of thousands of dollars and you would then be certified uh, and you met the criteria of the American Board of Internal Medicine. And these exams exist not just for internal medicine, but for all the subspecialties of internal medicine, which there are now quite a few of. So for me, I'm a hematologist oncologist. Uh, so I treat patients with blood disorders uh, uh, that are cancerous and not. So I took an additional two board exams at the end of my training in both hematology and oncology that were uh, thousands of dollar exams uh, um, and additional certification. So I hold three boards. Um, and up until 1990, um, um, you were good. If you took this board uh, um, in your given specialty of medicine, um, you were certified and that was it. That's what you signed up for and spent your money on. Again, what added value it added was really actually unknown and still is unknown, but that's what you signed up for. Uh, but then in 1990, the Amer and the American Board of Internal Medicine clearly made quite a bit of money uh, uh, on this without any data that they were benefiting patients, right? All patients care about is that they their doctors provide compassionate quality care that makes them live longer and feel better. At the end of the day, no matter what a patient tells you, that's what they want, okay? Uh, um, and these exams were uh, uh, given to us in, in hopes of improving that, although no qualitative, qualitative evidence was shown. But in 1990, they said, you know what? One exam isn't enough. Medicine changes. Uh, um, and we want to make sure that our people who are certified by this board stay up to date. So they said every 10 years, you need to retake the exam. So for someone like me, it would be retaking three exams. Okay. But they said uh, they, they were smart because they knew doctors don't want to do more stuff. We're already busy as can be. They said for those who were certified before 1990, you don't need to do this. Okay. You are grandfathered in. So the word grandfather means that they are stamped in and don't need to recertify. But everyone who was recertified after 1990 needs to take this test every 10 years. So a maintenance of certification. And even though when you took that exam, you thought you were signed on for life, if you don't take the recertification every 10 years, you lose your board certification. So your initial certification gets revoked. Okay. And on top of doing that, they were very smart to tie into to lobby uh, uh, the ACGME, so the uh, the Accreditation Institute for Medicine and insurance companies that maybe you should reimburse doctors unless they maintain the certification because they're not qualified. And doctors did it, okay? Um, and they were angry about it, but they did it. Uh, and they knew they were smart not to make those before 1990 do it because those were the leaders in medicine. They don't want to piss off the leaders of medicine uh, 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 because then they wouldn't be able to do this. But the young ones, they can force them to do it without much of a, uh, of a, of a hassle. And then in 2000, and it was either 13 or 14, um, they, the American Board of Internal Medicine want, decided to change the rules again. And they said, in addition to recertifying every 10 years for all of your boards, we're going to add something called MOC, which is maintenance of certification, which was basically um, modules or CME-like activities that you had to then submit to the ABIM, and they had to be certified by a ABIM to be kosher for the ABIM. And you had to earn a certain amount of points every year or so. And if you didn't do these mock point things, 
even if you did your initial board exam, even if you did the every 10 year exam, you then lost that you would be listed as not certified. So they kept on changing the rules. Uh, 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 um, and um, if you can imagine, if you're someone like me, who's a busy academic physician with a busy clinical practice, who's trying to maintain three boards every 10 years and these mock points, it can be quite uh, a, a hassle in terms of um, money and just time and just just keeping up with it. Like, you know, we all already keep up with our credentialing requirements for our hospitals. We all already undergo peer review at our hospital committees. We all do CME, which is required by the state of California to maintain my licensure. Uh, uh, um, it was just, you know, these Adam Burtisms. And when I started to think about this and all the stuff that I was doing for this without any empiric data that I'm benefiting myself, I already know I'm hurting myself. I'm physically angry doing these things and seeing these emails. I'm physically angry and upset spending time and money on it. So I knew the harm uh, um, so I just had enough and I hope that kind of summarizes and feel free to add. And if there's anything I'm missing, the nature of the American board of internal medicine, they will continue to add on new layers of horrendousness to us physicians because they can, because they have this magical power, which truly is magical power. They know this, that if, if you don't do one of these added things, they can remove your board license, your board certification, which at the hospital I work at for better or for worse, is required to maintain my privileges and livelihood as a physician. I have three kids. I need to make money. I have a lot of sick patients that I take care of. As angry as I am at the American Board of Internal Medicine, I really want to do mock. When the time comes around at the current state, I'm going to freaking have to do it because as angry and upset as I am about this, I'm not ready to lose my whole practice that I've worked my life off to, 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 to have and I have three dependent kids and they know this. I'm not, I, you know, they know this very well and they will continue to do this unless enough of us somehow figure out a way to, 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 to correct this. So um, that was my rant on the ABIM. That, I hope that makes the, sense. Yeah. No, that, that's great. I, I, you know, I love, I love the fire. And interestingly yeah. enough, I, right before this um, conversation, I texted my co-author Joshua because I had been taking care of him for the better part of 13 years before I stepped away. And I specifically asked, I said, Josh, did, did you know if I was board certified or not all those years? And he's like, no, it, it didn't really matter. He goes, you paid attention to me. You listened to me. You did your best. You cared for me. He goes, now that we've written a book together, yeah, I know you've done it because it gets brought up and so on and so forth. So it, it's this interesting dichotomy. And I think you summarized it very, very well. I, I'd like to go back to July um, when you posted the petition. Uh, in the petition, you called on the ABIM to eliminate mock requirement because it's burdensome, costly complex and time-consuming. Can you maybe walk us through some of the events that have occurred since uh, you put out the petition? Yeah. So for the record, and for those who follow me on Twitter, I'm not much of an activist. Um, I don't see, you know, my, I, you know, I can only do so much. I can teach people medicine. I can take care of my patients. And that that is my role. I don't see, I have, I, you know, I don't know if I can make much of an impact on political issues, but I got you know, I got a bunch of emails from the ABIM about all this crap I was behind on and I got pissed off. So I started tweeting negatively towards them. Um, and then within literally a week of doing that, um, and I'm going to, I'm happy for everyone to hear what happened. The ABIM emails me and uh, I have a, a large platform on, on Twitter. So they clearly were seeing some of the stuff that I was tweeting and they didn't yell at me. They actually said, Dr. Goodman, would you like to join 
the ABIM and be uh, uh, part of, uh, it was one of some, some position like of reasonable respect within their organization. And um, I sat for a while, I was like, oh, this is great. This is a good career building thing. And then I was like, I'm no idiot. I know exactly what the American Board of Medicine is doing. They are trying to, you know, keep your enemies closer, silence me. And I emailed them back. I said, for the record, no. And you just opened up a huge world of hurt for your organization. And that's what started me to do this petition. They're that they're that good and evil that, the, you know, he was a guy criticizing them on his Twitter. He's been like, I'm sick of doing these stupid questions that I could sit and Google. Uh, um, and uh, um, they asked me to join them because they know they know that, you know, by joining the American Board of Medicine, which is I, I plead to my fellow physicians, the American Board of Internal Medicine depends on physicians like me and you to volunteer to work for them and write questions and give them their standing. And we have the complete power to say, screw you, we're not going to help your, your corrupt organization. Uh, um, but that's basically what I said, screw you. And then I wrote the petition and, and I started tweeting it. And that's what started the petition. So the American Board of Medicine did it to themselves. And I happened to have some friends in medicine with fellow podcasts. So Shadi, you brought up his podcast. And he's like, you know, uh, um, I, he's like, um, you know, uh, uh, I told Shadi, I go, let's invite the, the CEO on and start, start, start debating some of these things. And he said he would never come on. But we tagged him in a bunch of tweets and the CEO made a, a horrendous a mistake. He on Twitter said, of course, I'll come on. And we screenshotted it and uh, 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 he committed to coming on. And then we tried to get him to come on and we emailed him. So we emailed him and he said, oh, no, you have to go through the, AB you know, they made some cockamamie way to, to do you have to go through the ABI and press. So we did that and screenshotted his tweet in there and he agreed to come on and um I always like quoting my mom. Um, uh, she watched the debate, but she only watched the first 10 minutes because she told me, Aaron, I had to turn it off because I felt bad for the CEO of the American Board of Internal Medicine. Uh, um, and, um, you know, he he just proved all of our points by going on that podcast. Uh, uh, he made it easy for me uh, to show how horrendous this organization is and how they truly actually, they, th they think of themselves as a business. As he stated, he said, your EBIM dues, it's just like paying taxes. I quote him, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. So he did himself in. And with all that, we created enough stir uh, uh, online and with that podcast to get leaders in medicine to be like, and these leaders are like us. They're like, man, I hate doing this EBIM. Maybe we need to do something about this. And I also like to always point out uh, Twitter is quite divisive uh, when it comes to politics or even medicine or even oncology, which I have some uh uh, I've had some arguments on on Twitter, but this united everyone. Everyone was like, "Man, we hate a we hate doing this test. It doesn't help anyone. It makes us feel worse." This was something we all united on. And since we've done that, um, there's been press, both in the Medscape and the medical press, including large newspapers, and then there have been multiple organizations. So the American Society of Hematology, the American Society of Clinical Oncology the uh, uh, American College of Cardiology and some of the smaller cardiology that have come out with quite strong statements, basically agreeing with what all of us physicians feel and starting to work on workarounds to the American alternatives to the American Board of Medicine. So quite a bit's happened, although I'm still pessimistic. The EBIM still exists. I still have to take these exams and I still think it's going to be quite hard to get rid of them, even if these medical societies come come out strongly against that the abi am smart you know they don't have to do anything
they they are tied into insurance and to our licensure or to our um, credentialing at our hospitals. And they're just going to, if they were smart, I've given them this advice, just shut up. Don't say anything. Just keep doing what you're doing and take our money. So a lot's happened, uh, uh, but the end goal is still not there. Uh, and as far as achieving the end goal, I don't know what it's going to take, whether it will take um, litigation, which I don't want any part of. Uh, I don't want to get involved with the courts or uh, uh, further uh, um, um, action amongst us to start petitioning ACGME, uh, insurance companies, or even politicians to get on our side. So we still have a lot of work to do. For sure. But, you know, having listened to the podcast twice, Aaron, I, it was brilliant. And I think you guys had so many good points that the counterpoints were were weak at best, I would say, uh, having listened to it. Um, and the fact that you were able to get 10,000 and now 20,000, I don't know what the current number is, physicians to agree to any one singular item is probably a minor miracle in and of itself. Because hurting, you know, getting physicians together can be like hurting cats at times, I used to say when I was chief of staff. And so I applaud you for this. And and, and I see this as potentially the, a opportunity for many other um, areas in healthcare that need some improvement. So kudos to you. Um, I, oh, on I that note, actually. The, uh, the CEO also has retired uh, uh, conveniently. Uh-huh. Uh, um um, which, but he, he, per his statement, and we have to take his statement as truth, that the uh, retirement was planned prior to the latest ABIM, um, um, what we started. So there will be a new CEO. Uh, I've submitted my application. Good for you. <laughs> I think I, I, I think that's fantastic. Well, I'm, it's, I'm being serious. You know, I think the, our, our generation, the generations that follow on behind us have got to have the intestinal fortitude to speak up against some of these things that are just creating barriers and burdens and silos. And so I, I can't say it enough. I think what you did was wonderful. Um, let me shift gears on you a little bit. Um, we asked questions trying to just get inside people's heads a little bit. And so I'm going to throw this at you. Are you ready? Yeah. Nirvana, Soundgarden, or Alice in Chains? So Nirvana is my favorite band, but um, Alice in Chains is by far of those three the most underrated. And as as far as um, unplugged, so MTV Unplugged, which was a thing when I grew up, they take these bands and they play acoustic. The Alice in Chains Unplugged is by far the best, is superior to Nirvana's. I, I would say my favorite album of Alice in Chains is Jar of Flies. Not that that has anything to do with Mach. Um <laughs> It's a good, good album. They're all, all the out. Well, their last one, but, but, uh, they're, they're all great. They're a very underrated band, but very dark, very dark lyrics. For sure, for sure. So we talked about other alternatives potentially and possibly different avenues going forward, which, which brings up the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons, um, created in 2015. Eric Topol is, is on the board, I believe, and he's also one of the co founders of Medicine Forward. Any thoughts regarding that organization? Yeah, you know, they've contacted me and, and uh, don't get me wrong, they're better than the ABIM, but like, you know, ABIM sucks. So, you know, that that's a low bar uh, 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 to, to be better than ABIM, but they're clearly better. And if I had a perfect world that I could do what they say, um, I would do that over ABIM. But but they, my, my thesis is we don't need another large society governing us, okay? Um, you know, what that society says is you submit your CME to them, if and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So you do the CME you're going to do, continuing medical education. So I would do it in leukemias and lymphomas. I would submit it to them every year and pay them money. 
not a lot, but some money, and they they stamp it. My my thesis is we don't even need that. We do CME. We submitted our board, our state boards require it just about most states. I don't know if every state does. And we undergo peer review at any hospital you work at, there's peer review. And that is enough. I don't need a, I don't need anyone. I don't need to, I don't want any other organization. I don't want another email from anywhere. So, so yes, although better, I, I don't want them either. I want none of it. Uh, 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 you know, that's how I feel. Aaron, I was curious. So what was the origin? And I, I think it's probably pretty obvious, but I wanted to hear it from you for Papa Heem. Well, you know, I'm a hematologist, but when I started Twitter, so the whole Twitter thing is my colleague who happens to be a multiple myeloma doctor. And if you know what some of the stuff I do, I'm very uh, critical of, of that uh, specific literature in multiple myeloma, but uh, she's like, it's good for your, um, it's good for your stature, your resume. It's good for networking. And so I logged on Twitter, I think it was in 2017. I thought it was stupid. Uh, so I didn't do much of it. And then right at, right before COVID, I started logging back on and started following uh, uh, some people that I found interesting and uh, started learning uh, from it. And um, I just started, at first I was kind of a fly on the wall. I didn't tweet really at all. But then I just started tweeting um, just what I thought about whether it was a clinical trial, whether it was a, a treatment guideline. And a lot of it was usually disagreement. I have strong opinions, uh, um, and uh, but never against people. Well, against thoughts and ideas, uh, I stand by that. And then, uh, you know, I'm a big teacher uh, at UCSD. I teach the medical students. I do a lot of that residence. So I just started teaching things that I found interesting for my patients uh, from in clinic or, or from some of the lectures I was doing. And people started following. And um, I was I was at I was actually in Arizona with my family visiting uh, my father, my uh, and my brother. And we were in a room, and they're like, "Yeah, you got a couple thousand followers." you need a name. And I go, I'm, you know, I don't need a name. And we kind of just started joking around. And I said, Papa Heem. And um, they're like, you should do it. So I did it. I, I changed my, I, you know, uh, my name and then put that in quotes. And the next week I showed back from vacation to my, my, my work and all the nurses were giggling at me because uh, they followed me and they were giggling about the stupid name. And I was embarrassed. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, maybe I should stop this. And, and then I had a thought, I go, Aaron, just own it. You know, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And, and I just embraced it and owned it. And then it took off from there. So that is the origins of, I actually think there was also um, uh, one of my early followers uh, uh, who was uh, referred to me as the Padre of hematology, the father of hematology. So that that is, I think, where I uh, got got the papa from. So, uh, and then it took so off. That's that's brilliant. Um, you know, as a flight surgeon, you're you know you're inherently given the the call sign doc unless you earn some some other call sign. Um, I earned the call sign Doctor Evil, but I'm not going to tell that story in the context of this setting. Maybe offline, I can share that with you. Um, but it was endearing for sure. Interestingly enough, I, I let's shift gears just for a second here. Um, you know, back to mock, if you will, which which kind of sounds like the title of a, a bad sequel, probably of a movie, potentially. Um, what other iterations do you see maybe going forward regarding petitions? Have you had any thoughts along those lines? Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, one of the things that has come to, to my mind regarding the petition is um, prior authorization and how can different entities make some noise regarding prior authorizations? Have you had any thoughts? along those lines at all or no? 
I mean, I'll say, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Initially, I always thought petitions were stupid. <laughs> I, I, I did. I've never signed a petition. I never did one. And, and I'm not going to lie. I did the initial petition to be like, screw you for that email. I was like, I just wanted to make it painful for them because I, I hate you guys so much. But it has, it's been more effective than I ever could have imagined. I mean, right, I started this petition and me as, yes, I have a voice on social media, but I'm not some famous trialist in hematology or oncology, but I've managed to have major medical organizations. I mean, major medical organizations start talking about this. The CEO himself, although he's, they state not related, has resigned. So it, it, it does have a power, uh, more so than I thought. Um, but it still doesn't achieve the end goal. So I, 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 there still is mock and EVIM. So no, I have not thought about doing more petitions. Uh, um, and people have said, you know, should we unionize? I, there is strength in physician numbers. Again, the biggest problem with all of us is we're just, we're so devoted to what matters, which is taking care of our patients, that we don't want to waste time on any of these other matters. And, and, and I think we could take advantage uh, because of that. Because, you know, with what limited time we have is the last thing we want to be doing is organizing some large effort. We, if we have free time, we want to play guitar or be with our family, you know, or have a beer on the beach, you know. So, uh, uh, but no, I have not thought about doing other petitions. But now I at least, my mind has been changed about them. I thought they were useless, but, you know, they've, they, they do manage to uh, uh, at least invoke some change. Absolutely. I mean, it caught my attention. I think I had listened to it on, in early August, and, and I don't remember what uh, triggered me to listen to it, but uh, there's a lot of power in what you had done, and it speaks to the power of numbers, which I think going forward is how we're going to change some of these issues that exist in our current landscape. Um, so I, I thought it was brilliant, and I think there's opportunity for it down the road. And I'm not saying, Aaron, you need to lead more petitions necessarily. I just wanted to pick your brain on it more or less. Uh, I'm going to shift gears on you one more time. I think you might find this a little bit interesting. Um, so I'm in the process of finishing my uh, recertification for family medicine. I did the longitudinal component, which I actually enjoyed that part of it to a certain extent, where instead of going in to take a you know one-day test, you did a handful of questions quarterly. But the big issue I have with it was the process improvement section, which is intended to be this self-reflective process, looking at your clinic, finding something that you think you can prove, putting some, implementing something, and then you know finding the end game and reporting all this information back. Basically, it's a, I've done it in the past. I've done it a few times. It's just a it's a box checking exercise for many of us and a big time waster. So I, I think you'll find this interesting, or at least I hope you do. So I was somewhat passive aggressive with the process improvement um, component this year. Um, and basically said, hey, I wrote a book. Does that count? Uh, and then, you know, included some of the components to it, included some links. So I mentioned that I'd spent hundreds of hours writing it, talking to patients, researching, so on and so forth. And of course, was summarily dismissed um, that this didn't count for process improvement, which I'm just rolling my eyes even as I'm saying this. So that led to a circular conversation with the staff at the American Board of Family Medicine back and forth. Well, why doesn't it count? And, you know, you can imagine how this would go with this unending loop of, hey, you need to do it while you're seeing patients. Well, I'm not seeing patients, yada, 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 yada. Anyways, I pushed so hard that I got a senior executive uh, to take a phone call with me. And we had a good discussion and talked about the process and how we could apply or open up different avenues or potentially change it. And so I suppose in the end, we've, we've created a, a process improvement for the uh, process improvement. 
So you, you, <laughs> you've inspired me to push at the another board to try and make some changes. So um, I think we just have a couple minutes left. Was there anything else you wanted to add, Aaron, before I give one last uh, sort of rhetorical ripple challenge, if you will? Any other thoughts you want to do first? Story, right, this process improvement. These were, right, let's imagine these were some doctors or whatever sitting in a room be like, how could we, you know, they just came up with this stupid thing and implemented it on you. Like, you know, like that, that's what it, what it was. And, and I, I am also someone, I like test questions. Like I like stupid little weird facts, but like, I'm the first to admit that mandating them doesn't improve the care I give my patients. I mean, with these questions you can do at home, you can sit and it really tests how fast you can Google things and, and up to date them. It's not testing anything else. Uh, that 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 that's what it's testing. But um, yeah, the fact that you had to do this process improvement to begin with is, is, is crazy. Uh, um, no process is going to be improved by doing that, other than you know uh, unimproving your mental well-being. Fair enough. Well. On that note, Aaron, we really appreciate you joining us today and providing some additional insight on the mock. And I'll say it again, I think what you've done with this endeavor has inspired a lot of people to start to think about how they can use their voice to improve some of the issues that are going on. So I myself uh, thank you and on behalf of Medicine Forward and all the people that are involved, we thank you as well. So this last uh, ripple challenge, if you will, is rhetorical. I asked this last month and Gabe Boslett started to answer it. And then I had to cut him off and say, hey, hey you don't need to answer this last question. Uh, so I'll just say, what positive ripple of change will you create either today or tomorrow? Grab your copy today. Ripple of Change is available in hard, soft, and ebook formats. More information at www.ourquadrupleaim.com. Thanks for listening, and let's turn ripples into waves of lasting change. Stay tuned to this podcast as we search for examples of our quadruple aim.